Well, good morning. Today we are talking about joyful generosity, and I know for some of you, the thought of talking about money is going to make you uncomfortable. So in, in the beginning, I just want, let's take a deep breath and go, all right, well, let's just get uncomfortable together about that. But my heart for all of us, for you and for me, is that we would hear God's word, that we would see in light of the gospel, that we would look at all of scripture and say, God, what does this mean for me? How can I walk in greater obedience with you? Now, I think it's helpful to think about our context and our culture that we live in. And here's an example. I've been buying diapers for 18 years, still buying diapers. And with an 18-year-old and a three-year-old and all in between, I've been buying diapers for a, a long time. And every diaper comes with a sales tax attached to it. And the other day at Walmart, I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about our time together. And I looked down at the sales tax and it was like $31. I was like, man, that's, that's just a lot of sales tax right there. That I, so I've just been thinking, what city park or what elementary school have I built? You know, because I've been buying diapers all these years. And I'm excited there's going to be my name on one of these buildings at some point soon. But when we go to a restaurant, we sit down for a nice meal. You know, and at the end, our check comes. And, and our culture just goes, hey, uh, if I'm making this up. If, if it was 100 bucks for dinner, it's like, okay, I'm going to tip the waiter 20 bucks. Why? Because the service was good, my water glass wasn't empty, they were polite, they were prompt. We don't think anything about tipping, right? 20%. But then when it comes to tithing to God, it's like, well, don't put me under the law. And I just want us to go, wait a minute, something is off there. If I can gladly tip a waitress or a waiter 20% on a meal... If I can go to Walmart and buy diapers for 18 years and pay sales tax, I need to rethink the way I'm thinking about generosity. And here's the good news and the bad news. Here's the good news and the bad news all together at once. Sin has affected you in every way, including what you think when you think about money and whose it is and how it is and why it is. I'm just going to call a spade a spade. Every single person in this room, every single person that is watching online, All of us, myself included, have been affected by sin. And the way we think about money is not biblical by default. And generosity is not our default response, nor is obedience our default human response. Selfishness, self-preservation, self-promotion, self-care is our default response. So I want to invite you to go, okay, well, I didn't want to hear that, but I'm going to take a deep breath. And I'm going to take a deep breath, and I'm going to go, okay, what does the Bible say? Not what does culture say, not even what do, what do I say. What does the Bible say about this? And it says about money roughly 2,000 times. So there's something to this that I think we need to pay attention to. And on the front end, you can choose right now to tune in or tune out, but this is what I believe. Every act of obedience, including generosity, is for your good. And if you're not practicing generosity, if you're not giving at all, or if you're giving begrudgingly or partially or with fear or like, I got to do it, that's disobedience. It just is what it is. And when we disobey, when I disobey, and when you disobey, we miss out on experiencing the goodness of God. And then his grace steps in and draws us back home and we go, okay, all right, I'm completely accepted before God by grace through faith in Jesus. So, 
how should I live? Christ in me, the hope of glory. Jesus, what does giving look like in my life? What does it look like? And I want you to know that saying, I'm afraid I won't have enough, is the way of the world. The fear of what if I can't pay the bills, that's, that's the way of the world. The way of faith says, I'm bringing my first and best versus I'm giving my last and what's left. Our culture says that's charitable to give what's last and what's left. The Bible says we bring our first and best. And that's a different way of thinking. And I'm not going to assume you think that way because the word is so crystal clear. My heart for us and for those of you that are giving is that you'd be encouraged, that you would be affirmed, that your faith would be strengthened, that you would see, and for those of you that are struggling to give, that you would be encouraged to take the next step in obedience, to not feel under the weight of guilt and shame, but go, there's a great invitation that we all together are stepping into, and it's because of God's grace that I want to walk in greater obedience in my life. And if you've never given or you're not giving at all, I just want you to see, you just are missing out. You're missing out on an opportunity to trust that your, your resources are better in God's hands than in your own plans. And I can tell you, and walking with Jesus for 25 years, I've seen this play out over and over and over and over and over again. God is faithful every single time to provide for us. Will you, along with me, honestly before God, seek to understand what he has to say for all of our lives? So here's some questions. Do you trust God to be your provider. You might be hardworking. You might be a successful businessman or businesswoman, but do you trust that even through your hard labor and giftedness that God is still your provider? And can you trust God's plan for giving to be better than your plan for giving? Can you trust God's plan for giving to be better than what you think should be given or not? If you're new to Grace Auburn, this will be a surprise. If you're not new to Grace Auburn, this will be like, yeah, I figured so. We're going to go through the whole Bible today. What it says in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, how Jesus interacts, how the apostles interact with that. And we'll begin, again, all of this is before the law, by the way. This is before the law, but this is in Genesis. We see the first offering in the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. And I'm going to go through a lot, so don't feel like you have to turn there. But in Genesis 4, we see that Abel's more acceptable acceptable offering to God. There was a more acceptable offering to God, and we see that Cain resents Abel and his heart posture towards God. With Abraham, in Genesis 14, we see Abraham give 10% to the priests of God and the remaining 90% to his people. This is the first occasion in the Bible that the recognition that all these resources truly belong to God. In Genesis 28, we see the story of Jacob, and this is a conditional response to God. And maybe that's you. You're like, well, I will if you will. And we see that play out in Jacob's story. We see Jacob's conditional response to God, that after God has already promised to remain by Jacob's side, God's already promised, Jacob says, well, God, if you do these things, then you will be my God, and then I will give 10%. Maybe that's where you are. You're like, well, God, if you, then I will, and then, then I will. And it's like, no, a conditional response to God is not the way of grace. A conditional response to God is not one that looks like your heart has been changed by the gospel. All this was before the law. And then we get into the law, and we see in Numbers 18 this Levitical tithe. And this is fascinating, but the Levitical tithe was to support the Levites. That was a tribe of Israelites that took care of the temple and to serve that. And so these temple servants were supported by the rest of the Israelite tribes. And then the Levites would pay a separate tithe to the priest. We see the festival tithe, and you're like, hold up, time out. Another tithe? More than one tithe? Yes, more than one tithe. There's another tithe called the festival tithe, and that's in Deuteronomy 12, 14, 
and 26. And this festival tithe was to host the Feast of Tabernacles. Here's why. They were giving so that they could remember God's rescue from slavery. Giving is now connected to remembering, and remembering is connected to worship. Isn't that interesting? There was a tithe to take care of the Levites, the temple. There was a tithe to take care of remembering. When you give, do you remember? When you give, do you remember? In Deuteronomy chapter 26, um, verse 9, it says, He's brought us into this place and has given us this land, this land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses says, Now I bring the first fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. There's that principle. I'm bringing the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you will rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. I just want to say this morning on the front end that giving for you and for me is connected to remembering, is connected to worship. And if you're giving but not remembering, it's great that you're giving, but if you're not remembering, then you're missing out on this moment of worship. So giving is good, but remembering and giving is the path. Does that make sense? And we see that with this tithe. And so there's this principle, I remember, so I'm bringing my first and best. I remember, so I'm bringing my first and my best, not I remember, let me see what's left. Okay? Our culture says, I remember, and if there's any left, I might give. But in Scripture we see, I remember the works of God, therefore I'm bringing my first and my best. Then there's another tithe, and you're like, time out. Three tithes, are you serious? Here we are, Deuteronomy 14. And this is a beautiful tithe. Another 10% tithe was on the third and the sixth year of a seven-year cycle that the Israelites were on. And this tithe was the charity tithe. And isn't this amazing? This tithe was to care for the foreigners, for the orphans, for the widows, and to provide additional resources to the Levites. Even in giving, we see provision for those that cannot give. Even in giving, we see God's care for the poor. And this is not the only situation where God's heart for the poor is underlined in Scripture. A Jewish scholar said this, these tithes indicate, basically, these tithes based on the scattering of these years that the Israelites tithe 23% of their income. So I go back to this opening line again. Why is it that we struggle at the thought of tithing 10%, right, when we can gladly tip for 20% or pay the sales taxes on that? Now, there are other parts of the Mosaic law that go beyond this idea of tithing, and it speaks to this. So in Exodus 22 and 23, the Israelites were instructed to ensure or guarantee provision and justice and opportunity for the poor. In Leviticus 25, instruction is given to protect and support the poor. And in the year of Jubilee, you can look this up, the year of Jubilee is when debts were canceled. There's much celebration in the year of Jubilee because debts were canceled and indentured servants were released. In Deuteronomy 15, there's a series of commandments to care for the poor, specifically the poor in one's community. In the book of Ruth, we see how Boaz treats Ruth with generous kindness, and we see Leviticus 19.9 lived out where that the poor can harvest on the margins of their fields as income. That the people of God were instructed to leave some on the edges of the fields that the poor could, could go there. In Job, we see God's ultimate sovereignty over wealth and life itself, and we see that despite great suffering and loss, in the story of Job, we see Job use his wealth generously, and Job does not place his security in what he possessed. 
In Psalm 37, we see that righteousness is more important than wealth. In Psalm 112, we see this word, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Look at this description. Men rise up. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Wealth and riches are in his house. He has a steady heart, is not afraid, and distributes freely and gives to the poor. If there's a description of blessedness, there it is. In Habakkuk, we see that we are to trust God and to rejoice, even when the olive trees fail and the fields yield no food, yet I will praise you. Now we see David in First Chronicles, and this is what David says, here's this idea of everything that you've given me, I'm now going to give back to you. And so in First Chronicles uh, chapter 29, verse 12, it says this, both riches and honor come from you. Here's David's words. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Here's David's words. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? And here's the line. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. All things come from you, and of your own we have given you. We see in Malachi chapter 3 this same instruction, and it says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And I think it's helpful to know that tithe literally means 10%. So it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And here's the moment where we get uncomfortable. And here's the moment where it's like, what if I, what, what if? And the Lord says, test me. See, you will find me faithful. We see in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And you're like, oh yeah, I love this one. Ready? Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm good. Proverbs 3, 2. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Okay, I'm good. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And here's our favorite line. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You're like, okay, I'm tracking. I'm with you. I can trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, that's good, and he will make your, stra- your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your bones. Here we go. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And you're like, I really just like the trust in the Lord with all your heart part. You know, I, that, that's my verse. That's my verse. And it's like, well, yeah. But look, if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, then bringing your first fruits is like, okay, Lord, here is my first fruit. I don't know where 90% of it is going to come in. Help me harvest the rest. I am going to trust you with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. As I write this check, I am not leaning on my own understanding. I'm going to see that you're going to make my path straight. I want to honor you in my heart because I've already said I'm going to trust you with all my heart, and I'm going to bring my first and best, not what's left and left. And we, we think about this. It's like, okay, is this, is this, what do I do? You know, and this is the word. This is, this is God's word for us. So joyful generosity is about our response to who God is and what he has done and what he wants in our lives. And that, that's the bottom line there. So what does it look like for us to bring our first and best to God? This term tithing is sometimes erroneously used for giving, but tithing is 10%ing and giving is something 
else. And there's a time and space for both, but for Israel, tithing was an act of obedience and offerings were a demonstration of love, joy, and worship. So we see this connection that tithing was a regular part of what it meant to be the people of God. And then these offerings, that was like, that was like on top. That was like, we get to do this. We get to be a part of these things. Let me ask you, in light of grace, why would we give less? In light of the gospel, why, why would we think that we should live by lower standards of the law? And like, well, Jesus doesn't talk about tithing. Actually, Jesus does talk about tithing. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. So what does it look like for you to put God first in your finances? And you're like, well, I, I'm in a mess financially. Then there's help available. Well, I, I can't even buy milk. Well, then I'll buy milk for you. That's, that's not the point. The point is that there's a path and a plan for our lives as the people of God. And if you need help, there's help available. If you need wisdom and counseling, there's counseling available. But your path in richness and in poor is the same. Right? The people of God, we belong to one another. And you're like, I can't put bread on the table. I'll go get you some bread. But I still want you to know that he's your provider and there's a path, there's a blueprint for your life in the kingdom of God. And the gospel is the good news that sets our hearts free and it now enables us to give with greater generosity rather than less generosity. Being under grace does not mean living by lowered standards than the law. And tithing, like any other grace-enabled act of obedience, helps us experience God. Now there's a scene in Luke chapter 11. Jesus is lying back on this table with these Pharisees, and this is what it says. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so Jesus went in and reclined at the table. And the Pharisee was astonished. This is great. The Pharisee was astonished that Jesus did not wash his hands before dinner. That's what bothered him. Jesus came in with dirty hands. Well, Jesus had some words for these guys. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Here it is. This is Jesus saying, you should have tithed, you ought to have tithed, but you should have done that in a way that did not neglect the love of God and justice. And there we see in Scripture, Luke 12 goes on, there's a parable of this rich fool, and this rich fool in essence says, I'm going to acquire all that I need, and when I've acquired all that I need, I've discovered, oh, I need to build more things to house the more things I've got. And Jesus says, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, and these things you have prepared, but who will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And we hear this line, what does it mean to be rich towards God? And I'm asking you that question, what does it mean to be rich towards God? You know the story in Luke 18 with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler says, what must I do? And he says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And this rich young ruler walks away defeated and discouraged. And we see Zacchaeus, and I know you're singing the song in your mind. He was a wee little man. He climbed up into that tree, and when he saw Jesus, generosity was the outcome. A changed life resulted in Zacchaeus being generous. And I walk away from that story of Zacchaeus with a great song and a reminder that evidence of a changed heart is generosity. Evidence of a changed heart is generosity. In Acts chapter 4, we see this powerful movement of the Spirit among believers with boldness 
and generosity. And what I think is that when we see God, generosity happens. When we see God at work, people are generous. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the Ephesians elders, and he says, In all things, remember Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Bottom line, generous people are blessed, and they experience joy and giving. I experience joy in giving. Many of you experience joy in giving. When we give, we experience joy. In 2 Corinthians 8, among the churches in Macedonia, we hear that these churches gave according to their means. In other words, they gave appropriately, but then we see they gave beyond their means. They gave joyfully, and then they gave sacrificially. And Paul says to them, see that you excel in everything. But then he says, see also that you excel in this act of grace, this act of grace being giving. An encouragement to the church. See that you excel in this act of grace called giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we see this reminder that God loves a cheerful giver. But that doesn't mean you don't give unless you can be cheerful. It means somehow that as you give, you need to connect cheer to God and thus be a cheerful giver. We see in Philippians 4 uh, that contentment and the strength of Jesus and generosity, it's expressed as a fragrant offering pleasing God. And we see that, look, cheering or cheerful giving is evidence of the grace of God upon your life. Let me just ask you this morning. Like when you give, if you give, is there joy or is it like, I just want to encourage you based on Scripture, cheerful giving is evidence of God's grace at work in your life. First Timothy chapter 6, we, we are warned that godliness with contentment is great gain and we are warned that riches lead to temptation and that the love of money is the root of all kind of evils. But then at the very end of Paul's letter to Timothy, we see this powerful reminder. In verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, which is us, okay, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, i.e. in Greek that means Bitcoin, okay? And uh, you like that? That was good. Um, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set their hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. We are to do good, to be rich in good works. We are to be rich in good works. We are to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves, storing up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold, so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. I want you to take hold of that which is truly life. And part of that which is truly life is your joyful generosity. And I think you just need to take a step of faith and say, God, I'm going to trust you with that. I'm going to trust you with that. I take that step of faith every pay period. And the first check I write every pay period is back to this church. And I take a step of faith and say, I'm trusting you. And you're like, well, does that affect the way that you live? It does. I heard a pastor one time say to his congregation, you should know that I'm giving, and you should know that because I'm giving, it means that there are some things we just can't do. There's some places we just can't go. There's some things that we'd like that we're just not going to have. And in that response, we're trusting that what we don't have or what we don't see or what we don't get to experience is of greater good in the kingdom of God. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? We don't give what's last and what's left. We bring our first and best. And a couple weeks ago, I was having lunch with a friend, and this friend has been watching the journey of this church. And he said, well, listen, I have a question for you. I said, well, shoot. He said, well... He goes, I know, I know you've outgrown kind of where you are, and you guys are praying about the future, and what would be helpful? 
And I had that moment where my heart was like, uh-oh, okay, I think I drank too much tea or either something is happening. And, I, and in that moment, I said, well, we need, we need someone to be a catalyst as we think about the future. He goes, I'd love to be that. I said, okay, well, um, we don't know where, we don't know when, but we're actively looking for a permanent home for this church and a place that this church would be here 100 years from now if Jesus hasn't come back where people would know and love Jesus. He goes, man, I, I'd love that. He said, we would love to give your church a million dollars. And uh, I put my fork down. And I was like, okay. And in that moment, I was reminded that God is building his church. I didn't seek that out. I didn't ask for that. And this person, talk about evidence, evidence. He's like, and here's the thing. I don't want you to tell anyone who I am. And I don't want you to make a big deal about this. This is God's money. This is God's church. What I want to say is, thank you for teaching the Bible. Thank you for keeping it about Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? So what it's done for me is it's helped me go, okay, Lord, you're building this church, so help us lead with wisdom and humility and vision. Help us be patient in the process when we don't find the right land or the facility. Help us remember that our present generosity now paves the way for then. You need to hear that today. Your present generosity now paves the way for then. And a year ago, I was having breakfast with another friend. I guess I have a lot of friends. And this friend said to me, he goes, hey, I want to give you something, but I don't want it to be weird. I was like, okay, no worries. He goes, I'm just going to give this to you, and then we'll just figure it out. And, and that friend had written a check to Grace Auburn, $30,000. Just a normal guy. Just a normal guy, but I believe in what God is doing in the church. And you're like, well, hey, I, I can't give like that. That's not my request. You need to put your resources and your stewardship before God and say, what is my biblical, joyful, grace-enabled response as I hear these stories. And you should know it's not about the big gifts, actually. There are college students here with no income, and they choose to give every month. You know, there are children that drop dollar bills in the plate, and it's really not about the plate, it's not about the college student, and it's not about the person that is stewarding millions of dollars. It's about a group of people whose hearts are saying, God, we belong to you. This belongs to you, and with joy in my heart, I want to see what you will do. And so for you, I just want you to know, you're, this is not about your standing before God. This is about your joy in God. This is not about your salvation. This is a reflection of your salvation. And if in your heart you're like, I'm not giving at all, and I don't even know where to begin, just begin. One step at a time. Just take a step of faith and go in, Lord, I see it in Scripture. I want to see it in my life. Help me walk in faith together. And if you need assistance or if you're in a financial whirlwind of trouble, there's godly counsel available for you, but it doesn't mean that in the end, you shouldn't be a joyful giver either. And in the, at the end of the day, when we look back on life and go, we've stewarded all that God has given us, not just our treasure, but our time and our talent, we'll look back and go, there's joy in my heart of what I've been able to be a part of doing. So my prayer for you this morning, based on the word of God, is that you would go, okay, I need to take a step back, and I need to look at the way I'm handling our finances and I want to step into the kingdom and purposes that God would have for my life with joy and peace that he is my great, great, faithful provider.
My last story is this. I shared last week with a guy. I said, hey, you're going to be here next week. He goes, I probably won't be here. I said, well, I want to just share one more story with you. And he goes, okay, well, let me know. And I shared with this particular person about the gift, about the million-dollar gift. And he goes, man, he's like, that's awesome. He goes, I've had my best year in sales yet, and I'll get my quarterly bonus check for the fourth quarter sometime in January, February. These were his words, quote, I cannot wait to give. Generosity begets generosity. When we see God at work, there's generosity in our hearts, and there's much to see. There's much to see God doing, and that's what I want you to see, that you would remember what he's done in your life, and with that kind of joy, you participate. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for who you are, for your faithfulness, God, for this good word that is timely for all of us to remember that to you we bring our first and best and not what's last or what's left. And so, Father, I just pray today that your grace would be abundant on everyone who hears us today, that you would give wisdom and leading and direction for all of us as a church family, that we would walk in obedience because to walk in obedience means that we can experience your presence and your power and your joy. Lord, as your people this morning, we pray for wisdom, we pray for discernment, we pray, God, that you would show us clear next steps of obedience. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about Grace Auburn Church online at graceauburn.church.